Joining us now, our great friend, Mr. Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Did you get much snow over hey. there? We did. I I have no idea. Six inches, maybe something like that. It's uh, uh, last night. I took a step outside after we'd gotten home, and it was it was pretty then. As long as you're home and safely ensconced inside, it's all the uh, all the white. The trees were all flocked, and it was uh, was quite pretty. But it uh, you know cancellations again. It just uh, had things to do and. They just cancel everything, so your life, it, it's sort of like uh, a snow day, only not. <laughs> only you got to go to work. So if, I have to go to work. My boys were hoping they'd get a snow day, but unfortunately, they are, I don't know, fortunately or unfortunately, they already had the day off for Monday and Tuesday, so no special snow day, and that's when they say, oh, I wish it was a school day, so we would have got, you know, time off, but hey, it is what it is. I was going to go watch. My son is a uh, basketball coach, high school basketball coach, and they had a game last night in uh, over in Sherburne, and I was going to head down there and watch that, but uh, it wasn't. It just didn't work out. They called the game, and it wasn't a good idea to be out traveling anyway. So, so I'm staying at home, and I have a a chair pad i think is what they call them it's a wooden thing i don't know if it's bamboo or what it is and i i really like it it makes it so your uh, desk chair rolls a little better but it moves so every uh every every couple of days i have to take it off the chair off and move it over so i'm I'm sure there's some kind of little sticky pad you can put on there so it'll stick in you know in the office here we have the cheap they're they're made of some kind of a thick plastic and they have like pokey things so if you put them upside down it would be like walking across a porcupine back but they do on the other hand stick to the floor uh, and not move when you put them down. So you must just have one that's uh, probably eco-friendly because it's bamboo, yet not uh, so people-friendly because it likes to move around the room. Yeah, and that's kind of, and it's supposed to last longer. The the other ones would break after mm-hmm. a while. And then I yes. finally, I'm in the office store one day and said, you know, I, I don't want to buy those things that break all the time anymore. So I got one of these and you know, I like it, but it's like everything you like. There's always <laughs> something some wrong. little give. <laughs> yeah, you got to put yeah. up with it. So I was oh inspired by the old Farmer's Almanac saying winter's back breaks around the middle of February. I trudged outside today into the land of Mark Trail. And uh, some of you, I bet a lot of you know Mark Trail, but Mark Trail is a newspaper comic strip created by Ed Dodd. And it was in 1946, and it centers on environmental and ecological themes. Mark Trail was an environmentalist before I was even familiar with that term. And I went out, and the snow was as deep as February decided it had, it'd be no more mist and ice, ice guy, mist and ice guy. It's going to snow, and the trees appeared solemn in the storm when you look out and they just kind of like oh here we go again and now when i walked out this morning a little later and the sun is up and each tree has a single follower its shadow and i walked around just looking and listening to things and i love what is near i treasure the familiar i i don't wonder where my sense of wonder went i carry it with me and I listened to the Blue Jays crying, here, here, here. I, I don't know what they had. I would guess a little hawk or an owl or something. 
And I watched the nuthatches travel briskly up and down the trunk of a tree. But I found enchantment in a pair of cardinals. Their name comes from the red plumage resembling the robes of the cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church. And that word comes from the Latin cardo, meaning pertaining to a hinge. Things with cardinal qualities are principal, chief, or essential. A listener reported a barred owl, B-A-R-R-E-D, perched on a shepherd's hook in the yard and wondered why it was there. Well, barred owls eat many kinds of small animals, and their winter menu includes squirrels, mice, voles, rabbits, and birds. And they hunt by perching on an elevated perch and using their sharp senses to scan for prey. And they also perch near water and drop down to catch fish. Uh, Barred owls swallow their small prey whole and large prey in pieces, typically eating the head first and then the body. They occasionally store prey temporarily in a nest on a branch or in a snag to eat later. I was in town yesterday uh, for uh, some relatives from Wisconsin. I had come come to a, a visit, and it was great to see them. We don't see them as often as we'd like because it's quite a, they live up by oh, Hayward, Wisconsin. And I walked past an old Toyota Tercel. And a Tercel is a, also the, it's more than just a Toyota. It's a name of the male of any of the Raptors used in falconry. But it caused me to think of other old cars carrying bird names that I grew up with. Ford Thunderbird. Oh man, I could name, I could still name, I bet a dozen boys who their goal in life was to own a Ford Thunderbird one day. That would that would have been it if they could have just got that Thunderbird. Nothing else would have mattered. But instead, they ended up probably with a Ford Falcon, which was another one. There was an AMC Eagle. Uh, in New Richland, where I went to school, there was Jedlow Rambler, and then it became Jedlow AMC. And AMC had an eagle. There was the Buick Skylark, the Pontiac Firebird, another car that a lot of young men just coveted. And a third vehicle that a lot of young fellows would have loved to have, the Plymouth Roadrunner. I was always kind of disappointed that the horn on the Roadrunner didn't go meep, meep, meep like the cartoon <laughs> Roadrunner did, because I meep. thought that would be just perfect. Yeah, that would have been perfect. But And Roadrunners, real Roadrunners, don't sound anything like that. But uh, on, on TV, that would have been a great horn. Uh, Dorothy Nielsen. Uh, Dorothy's from Albert Lee, and she spotted seven trumpeter swans here just the other day. And the swans nest not far from Dorothy's house. Trumpeter swans were once hunted for their meat, skin, and feathers. So by the 1880s, trumpeter swans had disappeared from Minnesota. They'd been extirpated by, by hunting. And by the 1930s, there was only 69 trumpeter swans remaining in the lower 48 states. They were all in Montana. Well, the DNR non-game wildlife program released 21 swans in 1987 near the Tamarack National Wildlife Refuge in Becker County. 
I saw oh, between 2,300 and 2,500 of them in Monticello, Minnesota during the winter. They're doing really, you'd have to say they're doing really well here in Minnesota. But one of the most beautiful sites I've seen in Alaska, a place filled with beautiful sights, was a pair of trumpeter swans flying soundlessly through a mist over the Chilkat River, and the white plumage in the haze and against the blurred mountains was breathtaking. So I'm so glad they're doing well. Uh, Dean Musing sent me a photo of a red-bellied woodpecker, just saying he's happy to see one at the feeder. And I agree, they are—they're just lovely creatures. I just—I'm uh, looking at one as I speak right here at my feeder. Uh, Ron from Austin said there is a video. I think it's a YouTube video called Van City, V-A-N City Van Life. And there's a video of eagles at the Sunset Coast in British Columbia, and he said it's really a cool one to watch. He has three pairs of cardinals at his feeders, and deer are eating the sunflower seeds at the same feeders. Uh, Kyle, oh gosh, uh, T-Pole, T-E-P-O-E-L, and I'm sure, Kyle, I butchered that just horribly, and I apologize for that. Uh, He said nothing to earth-shattering here, but in the last couple days have had my first local purple finch of the year, in addition to the first singing cardinals and the first skunk. Yeah, just, and folks, you will get uh, the essence of skunk here if you haven't already. (laughs) Oh, yes. And you can see when they're moving around because they have these little short legs. We'll stay on a cartoon theme. Remember Pepe Le Pew? He had those little short legs and he couldn't run as fast. Well, he could run fast when he needed to catch that poor cat. But you will see them now that we have a bunch of snow again. If skunks are out moving around, it looks like a little snow plow has kind of gone through the snow because they just drag their whole body through the snow. Uh, Tim Scott of Mankato said, finally, I had a really good bird day. Six pairs of cardinals at the feeders, a pileated woodpecker, a pair of barred owls, and the regulars. And Tim also sent something from an 8-million-year-old turtle shell was unearthed in Venezuela, measuring nearly 8 feet long, making it the largest complete turtle shell known to science. A new study's just reported that. And Tim also sent something about hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of bats have invaded the town of Ingham in Queensland, Australia. And residents are fed up. The bats now outnumber the residents in the town. And upset locals have asked their council to do something about it. The animals have caused chaos with residents complaining about the smell, the dirt, and the noise. However, the bats are protected by law and cannot be culled. Local authorities now say they're trying to persuade the bats to move back to their habitat. Well, I think the bats think that is their habitat. Uh, Neil Bat lives uh, not far from me here in beautiful, beautiful scenic Heartland, uh, has a pileated woodpecker. Uh, Dan Kelly. Dan was a, uh, he's a retired editor now for the St. Paul Pioneer Press, and I worked with Dan for many years, still do some things with him. 
And he sent me some very interesting stuff about Starlinks. And he said, I thought you would enjoy that. And I do. I, I like Starlinks, and there aren't many of us out there that do, but I just, um, everything is beautiful and interesting. And Starlinks have many things going for them. And this, uh, I got a nice email from somebody named Karen Wright. Said, uh, here is an interesting folklore. Uh, keep those blackbirds out of the house. It's from Old Farmer's Almanac. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother used to say that if a blackbird flew into your house, there would be death in the family. Where did this superstition come from? Birds of ill omen, ravens, vultures, crows, owls, and albatrosses. I, why did albatrosses get in on that? I don't understand that ever. But have existed in every culture since the beginning of civilization. This could account for your grandmother's idea about blackbirds. These omen birds show up in countless stories and folk tales. In ancient Rome, an augur, A-U-G-U-R, and there was a study called augury that uh, they would predict the future by looking at the birds. An augur was a religious official and fortune teller, uh, carried a ceremonial standard that featured different birds on either side. The birds on the right were considered good luck, and the birds on the left were bad luck. The standard was used to tell someone's future. And... uh, I remember my grandma saying that, you know, a bird in the house. I I don't know that she said somebody was going to die. She probably did. But it wasn't good to have a bird in the house. But (laughs) I've had birds in my house all my life. On purpose? Wait, Wait a minute. So what, in cages you mean? You know, when I was a little boy, um, birds would get into, uh, they'd get into problems, situations where they couldn't get out. Uh, I remember digging <laughs> pheasants out of the snow. And, and so I'd bring them in the house all the time. Oh. Kind of out or uh, hope they'd fly in the window. I'd bring them in the house and just hope they'd get better. And, and once in a while they would escape and then fly around the house. I know we had a little chickadee for probably about a week before I was able to catch him again and let him outside. So he would uh, fly down, and when I was eating breakfast, he'd fly down, land on the table to see what I was having, and I'd feed him various things. So I've had all kinds of birds in in the house for for many years. And didn't didn't I, you get the the talk about how birds can bring in salmonella and all kinds of things like that, and you know, uh, diseases and all that sort of thing? Not a peep. The only thing oh. I got is my mom and dad would say, you know, that's a wild bird, and it needs to be. It yeah. needs to be outside. Huh. And we had, um, the DNR would bring things out to the farm that had been shot or hit by cars and stuff. Because so, Dad was, Dad kind of liked stuff like that. He was good at mending things. So they would, we, I grew up with a blind great horned owl, a red-tailed hawk that had been shot in the wing, uh, an American kestrel. A good share of those things ended up being at, I know the uh, blind great horned owl went to the University of uh, UNI in Cedar Falls, and um, so we found homes for Printer, all of them. The one that nobody seemed to be interested in was a little kestrel, his name was Henry, not Henry, it was Henry, and (laughs) he was just a, a great little bird, but I think he was just too small, like those groups wanted bigger birds that they could people could come and look at 
and we had Henry for many, many years. He was in the house in a cage, uh, a very large cage for him, so he had plenty of room. He couldn't fly, but he could move around. He could fly for short distances. And then we had a, uh, a fire, a house fire, oh. and uh, sadly Henry uh, didn't uh, didn't survive that. Uh, oh. The smoke got him, we think. And I, I still miss Henry and wish I'd have been around. Uh, I don't know, charge into the house probably and uh, save the poor little bird, you know. And uh, everything else was there was nothing else in the house, and um, every nobody else was hurt or anything except our poor little American Kestrel. Isn't that why they send canaries down into mines because they're very sensitive, and if there's a poison gas, they'll die or something like that. Yeah, my my Aww. grandfather was a miner, and he always liked birds because he knew if the He'd look at the canaries every day, and if they were okay, he was going to be all right. And later, when he became a farmer, he looked to the birds in the sky and he thought, well, if they're all right, I'm going to be all right. Vernon K. Rasmussen of Albert Lee asked, they said, we see cardinals in the yard. Where do they roost? And they prefer thickets and evergreens for roosting, Vernon K. Um, you know, dense shrubbery and brush. Uh, tangles of grapevines, honeysuckle, and cedar. Do they like arborvitae by chance? They would, yes. Okay. I think a lot of birds do because yeah. I, I go for walks, and on cold, windy days, one of the best part of walks is walking into like a cedar grove because it's as if you've gone into a shed. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, the thickness of the foliage, it just cuts that wind and how it just feels like the temperature goes up 10 degrees just when you walk in there so cardinals will find that same thing and i'm guessing a lot of times they will get near the trunk of the tree because that's just a safer place to be because there's owls and things out there little screech owl would love to pluck you off the the end of those boughs so i'm guessing they will hunker down close to the trunk and it's going to be a little warmer there i've noticed that arborvitae hedges can be just uh, very noisy with birds sometimes and they're just it's just really cool because i've noticed that whenever because we've got the arborvitae hedges and that's where they just love to go and sometimes you can just hear them and it's just sort of like a a singing hedge Especially our friends, the house sparrows. Yes. Boy, they get in there and they just chirp and they're so happy in there. They just, it's the, the world is perfect. And yeah, I know we have them by the house. It's, it, there's some sort of state law that we have to have arborvitaes by the house. And I, I see some arborvitaes. I drove by a rambler the other day and those arborvitaes dwarfed that house they were just uh, shooting apparently their goal was to reach the moon one day <laughs> and uh, they're sticking up like um like the proverbial sore thumb but uh, uh Sharon Holzer uh, said she saw a golden crown kinglet near Flandreau State Park in New Ulm uh, as um, a cool little bird to see. They're tiny, tiny, and they actually do have a golden crown, and they flip their wings constantly. Uh, even when there's no insects much around, they're still flitting those wings. So I hope the little guy does well. Uh, Robert Watson, who lives in Austin, still has a Carolina wren, and uh, I'm sure it's going to spend the winter. I'm just glad it's still doing well. Uh, Andrew Nyhus of Scott 
County saw a lesser scop, buffelhead, northern shoveler, ringneck duck, and an American coot in that county. Some of those uh, waterfowl certainly can take the cold weather, and so we uh, we see some waterfowl pretty early. Uh, Brad Abendroth, also in Scott County, saw a hooded merganser and a ruddy duck. And Chad Hines uh, in Mankato saw a hooded merganser. So we're in Blue Earth County. I'm not sure where he saw that. but So we're seeing a lot of um, ducks start to move around, not in great numbers, but we're certainly seeing some. David Neitzel, also in Scott County, saw an American black duck. An American black duck uh, looks similar to a mallard. It's not nearly as colorful. It's a darker duck, and they do uh, hybridize with mallards, and there's some concern about not being so many American black ducks around just because of that. A listener asks, what bird migrates the farthest? And, boy, that's been... For a hundred years, I told everybody it was the Arctic tern. Then there was a couple other ones that said, "Well, they migrate farther." Science had said now, because they can put a radio collar on pretty much everything. Or they have found that the Arctic tern is once again the champion migration mileage bird. Uh, the Arctic tern is a four-ounce—excuse <clears throat> me—a four-ounce bird. And they follow a meandering round-trip route between Greenland and Antarctica and back each year. Uh, they rack up somewhere between 44,000 and 59,650 frequent flyer miles, according to the apparatus that they have on them that registers those. So nearly 60,000 miles is possible. And one of these little turns will live up to 30 years. So you talk about a, a weary frequent flyer traveler. I can picture a little Arctic turn with many stickers on his uh, suitcases. and You know, I don't see all those stickers. I remember when I was a kid, people that traveled a lot would have these suitcases, and they'd, they'd be covered with stickers of all the places they've been. Now the only time I ever see that is on a, a Subaru. I see all these stickers of places they've been, usually state parks and national parks, but I don't see it on baggage anymore. What else? Oh, here, somebody called me, and they were interested in going up to Sakzim Bog this month, and they hmm. said, what owls are seen at the Sakzim Bog? Where is that, by the way? It's, if from Minneapolis, it'd be three hours north. Okay. It's probably 50 minutes from Duluth, and I'm going to guess 40 minutes from Hibbing, because uh, the last time I think I was up there, I stayed in Hibbing. Uh, I have friends in Meadowlands, and I, I stay with them a lot, but you know, you you don't want to out outlive your welcome <laughs> there either. So sometimes you just say, well, I need to give them a year off. Yep. Uh, Meadowlands and Cotton are two little towns that are close. Actually, Saks and Zim are both uh, villages that have pretty much disappeared for the most part that are in the bog. And they have a bird list of, it was 240 birds, but I'm sure it's more than that. And the possibilities there, and I would underline and circle possibilities of the owls you're going to see, the great gray owl, that's the one that a good share of people go to see. 
but I love the northern hawk owl too. And then there's a great horned owl and the snowy owl, uh, barred owl, long-eared, short-eared, uh, boreal is a really cool one to see, and northern sawwet owl. I will add they're not easy to see, all of them. Uh, some can be. They're not there all the time. So the species vary from common to uncommon to rare. And when I think of a rare one, a barn owl, B-A-R-N, was seen at the bog this year. Um, the weather there, they get 30 to 40 days a year of below zero temperatures. It, it can get Oof. pretty cold. I know I led a bus tour up there, and when we took off, it was 33 below. But uh, with birders, it was just a sunny day in <laughs> Meadowlands. So we we warmed up, and uh, we even got stuck that day, and still everybody was in a, in a righteous mood. Things that... Uh, Speaking of Mark Trail, things that Mark Trail might want you to see today. Uh, keep an eye on the goldfinches. Uh, they will have been shopping for yellow feathers. So you will see an occasional little yellow color on the males particularly. Look for small tunnels in the snow beneath the bird feeders. And those will have been made, if they're very small, by shrews. And weeping willows are a just a lovely golden yellow. I think they become our most beautiful tree at this time of year. Pussy willow catkins. It's an early sign of spring. We've got to look for signs of spring wherever we can, and those are one. And I bet a lot of you were like me. Every year I'd go out and cut one out. Ours would grow in the ditch, and I'd cut a couple and bring them in the house and hang them, stick them up on the wall somewhere so I could look at spring. Al, I, I wanted just, to, to yeah. add that Barb Lampson, our master gardener, actually cut a branch of her pussy willow. Of course, they're not leaving yet, but we've had it in the... The uh, radio station here, and it's leafed out. We have pussy willows, and I mean, once they get warm and it's growing roots, so now we can actually plant and have a whole new little pussy willow tree. So if you want some of that greenery and the, the pussy willows inside, you can go out and cut them now and put them in a you know some water, and and you'll get some. So that's kind of a neat sign of spring we have a little bit early here. It it certainly is, and um, it's I, every year I look forward to that, just seeing spring coming. Um, on the wall of my room in this wonderful thing. Uh, I heard from somebody from Germany, and they sent in, I don't speak German well enough to say what they said in German, <laughs> but uh, we were talking uh, once about a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, and this kind person said in Germany, we had this saying and had it in German and then translated it for me, which I appreciate, and she said it meant... The sparrow in the hand is better than the dove on the roof. So a little um, different. And she said, I think that was around long before a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. But mm. I, I, I have no idea if it was or not, but See, it, so it was great to hear from her. I have um, a comment from someone here uh, that is Carl in Morristown says, Al, what about the Studebaker hawk and lark? Thanks for the memories. And that was from earlier. You bet. That's exactly, and I, I have a friend that has a Studebaker Lark, and he drives it to all those car shows, and, and he's a good friend and a great guy, but he talks about his car as if it's a living person. And, uh, <laughs> it, 
and I understand that because he spent so much time with this car. But yeah, and I believe I had a neighbor. Uh, I want to say Mr. Jensen was his neighbor. He farmed with horses, and I believe he had a Hudson Hawk, if I'm not mistaken. He definitely had a Hudson, and I think it was a Hawk as well. Hmm. So, yeah, there were a lot of bird names out there. Uh, all Later on, we had the Pontiac Phoenix, which could be taken because the Phoenix, the bird that rises from the ashes. So thanks, Carl. Appreciate that. And I got another comment. Uh, I, I think I know who this is from. Basically, it says owls are evil, and that's from our, our friend who hates owls because it attacked her four-pound puppy and almost killed it. Um, and so uh, so I get that. She's not liking it, but that was her comment. And I know you talk about owls a lot, and, and a lot of people like them. So we, we feel bad and, and, and understand her her dislike of them. They're still beautiful birds, however. Yeah, and I, I fully understand that. And I probably told her that I owned a Chihuahua for some, well, the Chihuahua owned me for 17 years. Yeah. So, And, um, you know, I, I worried about going places where there were eagles and, and owls, and uh, particularly at night, owls, the great horned owl would be the primary one that just, they don't know they don't realize that that's our pet. They just, they look at it and say there's food. So they're, uh, that's why they do what they do. I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. A special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any. You know, there are two sides to every argument. Yet there are thousands of sides of those same arguments online. <laughs> I used to stop at a Minneapolis cafe and order pancakes. They had a good rating from the Batter Business Bureau. But I came to watch a gifted guy flip the pancakes. Well, he was amazing. He'd flip them up so high and catch them, and they'd just perfectly golden brown when he put them on my plate. And I would read a newspaper while eating, because reading a newspaper, despite the news, uh, it just helps my digestion. A relative who lives down in Iowa, not that that has anything to do with this, but he told me that he gets his news from social media. And I tried that one day, and folks, now I believe in 29 separate conspiracy theories, and I am certain that the earth is flat. I learned what kind of donut I'd be if I were a donut, and I received more bad advice than a dozen ex-brothers-in-law could give. I discovered that there is regular crazy, and then there is online crazy. The Internet gave my brain a painful twist. There were many sick and tired people commenting on the news. How do I know they were sick and tired? They said, I am sick and tired, and then they'd tell me what they were sick and tired of. That noted philosopher, Will Farrell said, sleep is so cute when it tries to compete with the Internet. But Bill Nye, the science guy, said, the information you get from social media is not a substitute for academic discipline at all. Oh, everybody knows that, or do we? Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. And thanks for everybody. It's great to hear from you all. I hope you have a terrific day. Hey, thanks to you too, Al. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>